Welcome to the Love and Light Live podcast, empowering crystal lovers to learn and experience the art of crystal healing. Get ready to listen in and follow your soul calling with crystals. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me for the Love and Light Live podcast, the number one place for all things crystals, brought to you by loveandlightschool.com. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host, Ashley Levy, but I'm not just a podcaster and educator. I'm a fellow traveler on this extraordinary journey of self-discovery and healing with crystal energy. In today's show, I'm sharing my guide to the Tucson Gem Show with expert top tips and a look at some treasures from the 2024 show. There was so much to look at at this year's show, and you may or may not know this about me, but in addition to teaching classes with the Love and Light School, I also own a crystal shop here in Madison, Wisconsin. Each year, I travel to the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show, which is the biggest gem and mineral show in the world, for my shop, Mimosa Books and Gifts. You can find us online at mimosaspirit.com. And I travel there with a really small team. My shop only has about six people that work there in total. So each year when we go to the gem show, it's myself, my shop manager, and our shipping manager. And we pick out some amazing crystal treasures from across the globe. Discover how you can deepen your spiritual journey and follow your soul calling with crystals. The Love and Light School's award-winning crystal healing certification program opens soon. Go to crystalhealerschool.com. Now, last year around this time, I wrote a short article with some Tucson Gem Show tips and some really helpful information about spotting crystal fakes. There's also a great video to go along with that. If you head over to my website at loveandlightschool.com forward slash blog, you can find that previous blog post and podcast along with the video, as well as the one for this year. Just search for Tucson and they will both pop up. But with more and more people seeming to start their own crystal shops, either in person or online, I've been getting a lot more questions than ever before about how it all works, how the show works. So this year, I decided to break down our entire Tucson shopping experience as a sort of mini guide to give you a look behind the curtain at the big show if you're just curious about it or if you have your own shop or you want to do some shopping on a bigger scale to help you plan your own trip. But before we dig into the specifics of how to shop a big gem show like Tucson, I thought I'd share some notable highlights from this year's 2024 show. So my favorite crystal find this year was something I've actually been looking for for a while. The forest epidote quartz from Turkey, which is clear quartz clusters with an epidote druze, has been on my wish list for about six months, and I've never actually seen it in person. It looked so beautiful the few times I had seen it posted online, and it was at the very top of my list for things to find at this year's show. Luckily, I found some on the very first day. I spent a ton of money getting lots of pieces of it because I think it's so stunningly beautiful. I can't wait to share it with all of our customers at Mimosa. So that definitely made the list for my favorite crystal find this year. I also wanted to share the best quality gems we saw this year. 
because they were sort of a close second for my favorite. And these were probably garden quartz crystals from Brazil. The garden quartz was like off the charts this year. This is quartz with inclusions of chlorite and lodolite. We found them in freeform faceted shapes. We found them in like little mini towers or generators, and we found them in polished domes. They are so beautiful. They look like sort of undersea waterscapes, like little coral reefs trapped in quartz. They were stunningly gorgeous this year. I haven't seen any this good in a long time, and it was really nice to sort of see some of them again. Probably my most unexpected find this year was some brilliant cerulean blue opal from Peru. I was able to get rough pieces as well as tumbled stones. I hadn't seen this material for a number of years either. It's probably been, I don't know, maybe like eight, nine years since I've seen this quality of blue opal, and I was really excited to find it. The most expensive thing I bought at the show this year was a really large cluster of fluorite from Weardale in the UK. I did get some small Rogerly mine pieces, but the big cluster was definitely one of the priciest things I bought. In terms of the best value I found at the show, I found some incredibly beautiful rainbow petrified wood palm stones. These were not just your run-of-the-mill petrified wood from Madagascar. They had all kinds of beautiful colors, including reds and golds, a little bit of pink, a little bit of gray-blue, and they really enchanted me. They were so pretty and super, super affordable. My most beautiful find was a piece that I picked up for myself, not for resale. It is a piece of rhodochrosite, so it's sort of a quartz druze over a pink rhodochrosite crust, and then it has small rhodochrosite rosettes. It is so pretty, came from Peru, I had to have it when I saw it. The most outrageous crystal fake I saw this year was some composite lapidolite. This stuff is a little bit sneaky. I saw it in a dark tent and it didn't feel quite right texturally and I had to look at it in some bright light to really see what was going on. So this is a lapidolite that's made by binding together chips and shards of real lapidolite with some sort of resin or plastic or binder. And it looks somewhat convincing, except some of the composite pieces, they also mixed in some purple glitter, which was kind of a giveaway. So be on the lookout for that. But if you want to learn more about crystal fakes, be sure to go back and check out that other Tucson blog post I mentioned earlier. I go through some of the most common fakes and how to identify them. In addition, we have an entire series dedicated to learning to identify crystal fakes that you can get as an enrollment bonus with my upcoming Crystal Healing Certification Program. If you want to learn more about that, head over to crystalhealerschool.com. Back to our little list of 2024 show highlights. The best jewelry item I found this year were some huge manifestation quartz pendants. So this is where you have a small quartz crystal growing inside of a larger crystal. And so you can actually see the smaller crystal sort of trapped inside. And it's a formation of quartz known as manifestation quartz, inner child quartz. It has lots of different names, but I found some huge quartz pendants that have this formation and I just loved them so they had to go in my spot for best jewelry item this year. 
Now, I also want to talk about some trends that I was noticing at the show. And to be honest, this is something that we've been noticing more and more at my shop over this past year. But it was really nice to be able to go to a show like Tucson that has so many customers and so many vendors and talk with them about these trends to get a little bit of a confirmation about what's going on. So it's not just that I'm seeing this with my shop. This is sort of happening industry-wide. So popular trends, interesting mineral specimens, really of all types. Clusters are in. People want things that have a unique quality to them. They want things that are truly one of a kind, that are works of art created by the earth. So all types of clusters and mineral specimens are super hot, and we saw lots of that at the gem show this year. Declining trends, on the other hand, are things like mass-produced towers of all types. We actually only bought a couple little towers this year. We got a few of the little garden quartz because they were so beautiful. We got some blue jasper from Brazil because it was a unique stone, but I honestly can't think of any other towers that we ended up purchasing because we really went with this mission of finding tons of mineral specimens and clusters. And so it was nice to talk to some of the vendors there and find out they're actually experiencing that across the board. So for the past two or three years, things like the mass-produced towers and spheres and pyramids have been really, really popular. We had a lot of demand for those in our shop, and so did a lot of these vendors. But we're finding this year, that's not so much the case. People are kind of over it. And I do feel kind of bad for some of the vendors that have put sort of all of their eggs in that basket, so to speak. That's what they brought to the show was all these towers and things like that, and they're just not really selling But multiple vendors reported a huge decline in sales for this kind of material. So, you know, if you are a retail crystal customer, you just like to buy crystals for personal use or for use in your healing practice, I'd love to hear from you either in the comments on the blog or on social media. You can find posts related to this podcast or even send me a DM on Instagram at loveandlightschool. Does this ring true for you? Are you kind of tired of looking at all these mass-produced towers and are you looking for the more unique, one-of-a-kind things? And on the flip side, if you own a crystal shop, whether that's in person, bricks and mortar, or if it's online, I'd love to know if this is a trend that you have also started to see. And finally, I wanted to highlight the best new vendor from the show. This vendor was actually recommended to me by the amazing Cassie Ewell, who is a dear friend and someone I am so grateful for. Um, She used to have her own shop and she shared with me this great vendor called From the Mines. And they are a wholesale company that specializes in sustainable and fair trade minerals, which we love. And they were doing some great private appointments at the show this year. We had a lot of fun looking through their inventory and picking things out for our shop. I'm going to talk a little bit about ethical minerals a little bit later in this episode, but if you have your own shop, you're looking for sustainable and fair trade minerals, definitely check out From the Mines. And with that little highlight wrap up, let's dig into our Tucson Gem Show strategy from start to finish. The power of the moon and its long history of connection to magic and mystery and connecting with its energy can help you live in alignment and flow with natural cycles. 
That's why, in my Celestial Crystals course, I'll teach you how to work with crystal energy in the lunar cycle to find inner harmony with the rhythms of nature, connect with eight special goddesses, and create a moon magic practice to support you all month long. You'll learn powerful ways to amplify your connection with lunar energy, like which crystals to use during each of the moon phases to embody and harness their energetic archetypes, how to work with your crystals in meditation for each moon phase, how to perform full body crystal layouts for each moon phase in the lunar cycle, a special eight card moon phase tarot or oracle spread to help you gain insight into the best path forward, what to avoid, and what to release, step-by-step instructions for creating your own crystal charged moon water, how to create a crystal grid for tracking the moon through the lunar wheel, practices for new moon and full moon journaling for self-awareness, and which goddesses to work with and call upon for spiritual support during each moon phase. The moon, being our nearest celestial body, has such a deep impact on us. So as crystal healers, it's important for us to be in flow with the natural rhythms of the universe. You'll learn more about how when you sign up for my Celestial Crystals course. Head over to loveandlightschool.com forward slash celestial to learn more. Again, that's loveandlightschool.com forward slash celestial. Don't forget to use promo code podcastfan for $10 off your first class. So really for us as a store, the Tucson Gem Show starts before the actual Gem Show starts. So it begins with our travel planning for the Gem Show. We usually start planning and preparations for the Gem Show in about November or December of the previous year. The show begins in late January. So this gives us a month or two to kind of firm up and solidify our plans. So this is when we book our airfare, our rental car, and a house for our trip. There's quite a bit to consider about each one of these things when you're planning your travel, so I wanted to take a moment to just touch on some of these things that you might need to be aware of if you're planning a visit to the Gem Show. First, I want to talk about booking your airfare. So after many years of going to the show, we've learned to give ourselves as much space as possible with our flights to try and make the most out of our time in Tucson. So on the way out from Madison to Tucson, we catch an early flight the day before one of the biggest shows opens up. So we have time to sort of settle in, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. But on the way home, we tend to book a later afternoon flight, so we have time to run last-minute errands, squeeze in some extra shopping if there's anything that we want to go back to or something that we missed, and then still get to the airport with minimal stress and lots of time to spare. That's really important. And one thing I want to share about this is... It worked out okay on the way there this year to have that early flight. We did have, unfortunately, some mechanical issues on three out of our four plane rides. Thanks, American Airlines, for that. Um, And we almost missed our connecting flight through Phoenix on the way out. Uh, On the way home, we didn't get so lucky. So our plane on the way from Tucson to Dallas had a mechanical issue, which delayed us. Then we got stuck out on the tarmac for a while because there was no gate. We missed our connecting flight by 
a long shot. I mean, there was no way we were probably going to make it by the time we left. But then when we got stuck without a gate, we really weren't going to make it. And because it was a later afternoon flight, since we wanted to have that morning to wrap things up in Tucson, there were actually no other flights home that night to Madison, and we got stuck in Dallas overnight, which was pretty darn expensive and really put us behind schedule on a number of things. So when booking your airfare, just know that that's something that can happen. If you want to give yourself that time, you book a later flight, maybe don't do what I did and book the very last one. Maybe go with the second to last one so it's possible you still get on another flight. And make sure your layovers are long enough that you don't have to run to your gate to make your next flight if there is a little bit of a delay like we had. Next up is booking a rental car. So the Tucson Gem Show is one place where having a bigger vehicle really comes in handy. We usually rent a small to mid-size SUV, so we have lots of space for hauling boxes of minerals and our luggage because with three of us all attending the show, we need the luggage space getting from the airport to our rented house. And there's always a couple of days when we end up doing a lot of shopping and nearly every free space in the car is filled with boxes of crystals by the end of the day when we are finishing up with the show and driving back to our Airbnb. So we typically try to rent a hybrid vehicle to save a little money on gas, but a big car is really definitely a must even for our little team. So you might want to consider that when you're choosing your vehicle. Next, I want to talk to you about renting a house. So the first few years I went to the Tucson Gem Show, I went with my previous business partner who retired from the shop back in 2015, and we used to stay in a motel. And looking back on those early years, I really don't know how we did it. It was really cramped. It was impractical. It made it super hard to enjoy our time at the show. There wasn't really a good workspace for us to process and price everything. So now we rent a small house while we're visiting the show. And we try and get a different space every year, which really lets us get to know different parts of the city, which is fun and enjoyable. But we do try to keep it within about a 15-minute drive of all of the hotel shows, which are located along the I-10. We also try not to get too close to the downtown area so we can avoid heavy traffic in the mornings and evenings. And typically anything near the mountains is way out of our budget. So it does limit it to a relatively small zone, but that kind of works for us. It's just fine. Um, But overall, renting a house has been a huge game changer for us. We love having a little kitchen so we can prepare our own meals, which is not only kind of just like a nice thing to do at the end of the day to have a little transition time and wind down after the excitement of the show, but it also saves us a lot of money compared to dining out for dinner. We also really like to choose a rental that has a small yard or patio so we can enjoy just a little bit of time outside, maybe drink our coffee out there in the morning, read a book for a little bit before we have to go. It's a real treat to go from the very cold Wisconsin winters out to the desert, which is usually warm and sunny this time of year, and have a small space to enjoy during our off work hours, which are kind of few and far between, but even if we can squeeze in 10 or 15 minutes, it really makes a big difference. But some of the most important things to consider when you're choosing a house rental for the gem show are price, location, comfort, and accessibility. 
So when you're thinking about price, is the rental within your budget? Travel expenses, let me tell you, add up really, really quickly. So be mindful of all your other travel expenses when setting a budget for your lodging. I have to tell you, we spent about double what I expected just on our travel expenses this year when everything was said and done. So really try to keep your house rental costs to a minimum if that's important for you. Next is location. So think about how much time you're going to spend going back and forth between your rental and the shows and choosing something kind of centrally located can end up saving you a lot of time during the week. Next is comfort, and this is probably the most important one on the list. So take a look at how other guests have rated the space for things like noise, feelings of safety and security, and the comfort of the beds. So we've stayed in some really great places, and we've stayed in some that were truly terrible. For example, last year, the house we stayed in looked really cute. I think the mattresses on the beds were about 20 years old. None of us could sleep well. It was really, really awful. And it's important to remember that a good night's sleep is even more important when you're putting in those long days out in the desert with all the extra walking and the decision fatigue from picking out your crystals and sore necks and backs from leaning over hundreds of tables for hours a day. A comfortable space to retreat to at the end of the night is always incredibly important. And finally, I want to just bring your attention to accessibility of the space. So is the rental space on the ground floor or does it have elevator access? Once many years ago, I made the mistake of renting a space that was only accessible via two flights of stairs. And it was so exhausting carrying all of our heavy boxes of rocks up to the rental at the end of each day. You're already so tired from waking up early and walking around and doing all the shopping and then you pull in that parking lot and have to carry about 20 heavy boxes of rocks up the stairs with all those trips. Learn from my mistake and definitely check out the access to the space to be sure it will work for you, especially if you're disabled. So if the description of the space isn't clear, contact the host or even look at some Google images of the space for a clear understanding of the setup of the entryway into the rental. So that's it for travel planning, but I also wanted to talk about some other preparations that we make before we leave for the gem show. So first we do some organization. So beginning in like mid to late December, vendors that we have purchased from in previous years begin sending email notices of where they'll be located at the show and what they plan to offer in general. So when these emails start to land in our inbox, we start a year-specific folder in our email for all things Gemshow related so we can easily access them later on. So we put all these vendor emails in here, all the confirmations of our flights, our travel insurance, our house rental, our car rental, all that stuff goes in this folder. So if we need to find anything, it's really, really easy to search for in our email. Then we start to make a shopping list. Preparing for the gem show sort of tends to coincide with the time that we do the annual inventory for the shop. So while we're taking stock of what we have, we also make a list of the things that we might need at the Tucson show. So we consider the things we'd like to get more of in the coming year, as well as which items we like to discontinue so we know not to buy those. 
but from past experience, we've learned that going to the gem show with sort of a strict shopping list doesn't really work out. And the reason is because you just never know what you're going to find there. Like many, many years ago, we used to take special orders from our customers so they could tell us what they were looking for, what size they wanted, what their budget was, and we would try to find those things. And we realized it's really hard to shop for anything specifically unless we know a vendor that we know they're going to have that exact thing every single year. And that really doesn't happen very often. It's more like you're kind of just going to see what you see and you end up buying from that selection of things because the show is so big you can't possibly look at everything you can't make it to every show even in a week we're there for a whole week and it's just not possible so we don't bother trying to list every single thing that we'd like to buy at the show but we do make a list of all of our tumbled stones because in a shop like mine we have hundreds of varieties of tumbled stones And we need to see exactly how much we have on hand of each type so we know what we need to buy. And this can still be a little bit of a guessing game. We're not always perfect at estimating how much we'll need for a year's supply, but we do our best. And I know if you're listening, you're probably thinking, why would you want to pick all that out and spend your time doing that at the show? Wouldn't it be easier just to restock things, especially basics like tumbled stones, by ordering online or out of a catalog? Yeah, I mean, it would definitely be easier, but we love picking out our crystals ourselves, even for something like tumbled stones, because it helps us ensure that we're getting really good quality crystals for our customers. And often, though not always, it also gives us a bit more insight into how our crystals were sourced. We have a little bit more control over where we buy them from. So after we've made that very minor shopping list, we draft out a rough itinerary and this always seems to sort of change on the fly. We review it every single night and make adjustments as we need to, but this is where our email folder of vendor information comes in handy. So before we leave for the trip or often even on the plane ride out because we've run out of time, we take a look at all the vendors who've emailed us about the show. We think about what we bought from them last year, whether or not we want to visit them again, and then we map out the various show locations, and where we plan to shop each day. And coordinating the show open times, because Tucson, we we call it the Tucson Gem Show, but it's not just one show. I think it's like 40 shows or 60 shows or something. There there are just so many happening at once. Um, So coordinating the open times of each show with the things that we'd most like to purchase and the vendors we'd like to support does get a little bit challenging, but we just kind of do our best to make it all work. And like I said, at the end of each day, we do a little adjustment in the plan if needed. In the end, we often just end up relying on our intuition or our gut feelings about how we should spend our time and where we should visit. Since as much as we'd like to, we can't go everywhere first. That used to be sort of a running joke. It's just like, well, where do we want to go? We want to go here and here and here and here, but we want to go to them all first. So it was like, go everywhere first, but obviously you can't do that. So in the end, we have to just trust that we'll find the things that we are meant to bring back to the shop for our customers and call it good. So in addition to sort of planning our itinerary, we also pack for the gem show. 
And this is interestingly one of the things I get asked about most frequently when it comes to preparing for the gem show. So I thought I would just share my packing list here and I'll run through this really quickly. But if you want to print it out or copy it down, you can head over to loveandlightschool.com forward slash blog and you'll see a little bulleted list there. So first, you're going to want weather-appropriate clothing. Always dress in layers because the desert is cold in the morning and often pretty warm in the afternoons. You'll definitely want comfortable shoe options. I like having a good pair of walking shoes and a pair of sandals in case my feet get hot. I also bring sunscreen and sunglasses. You'll want to pack any travel documents, tickets, itineraries, lists, anything like that that you need. Since last year, which was our first year back to the gem show since the COVID-19 pandemic began, we bring masks, COVID tests, and hand sanitizers. We want to be safe. We also bring any medications or toiletries, especially some really good moisturizer and some lip care with SPF. We bring our devices and chargers. If it's going to be cold, which sometimes it is, I've been in the Tucson show when it's been 80 degrees and sunny. I've also been there when it's hailing and very cold. So if the weather forecast looks like it might be cold, consider bringing a coat, a scarf, a hat, and especially gloves if it's cold out because you're digging through all those crystals with your hands. Your hands get really cold. You also want to bring, of course, your ID, especially if you're driving or flying. And it's a good idea anytime you're traveling to bring a paper copy as a backup in case your ID is lost and also take a photo of the front and back on your phone as a backup. I like to bring a really small bag or purse to carry with me where I can keep money and credit cards and things like that close to my person because I also bring a large rolling backpack and I don't like to keep my money in there. Another helpful thing to bring is a refillable water bottle, just so you don't have to go through a bunch of single-use plastic while you're traveling. And then there are a bunch of things that we bring as a shop to help us be able to pack things up. So we bring rolls of packing tape, we bring little plastic baggies, uh, we reuse all of ours, so some of ours are kind of old and have seen better days, but that's okay. We use them kind of forever. Uh, standard ones and little mini ones are really helpful for small things you buy. Sticky notes are great. Permanent markers, scissors, mini notepads, and pens. We have a little portable hand cart. It's kind of like a little dolly that folds up. It's super lightweight. I throw that in the bottom of my suitcase and we bring that out. You'll also need business cards, copies of your reseller permit or tax ID, again, if you are a business, and cash or checks. Now, once we arrive in Tucson, we pick up our rental car from the airport and we head to our house rental to drop off our luggage and sort of get settled in. This is usually when we each pick our rooms out and make sure we can get sort of comfortable. And this year, the lovely shop manager at Mimosa, my crystal shop, created a meal plan for us for the week along with a grocery list which was super helpful, so nice to not have to think about that after a long travel day and show up at the grocery store and not have any idea what we wanted to get. So after dropping our luggage at the house and getting our rooms sorted out, we headed over to the grocery store to buy what we needed for the week. So we have usually on hand a good variety of things for breakfast and for dinner and some easy grab-and-go snacks that we can just toss in our backpacks. 
And we usually tend to get lunch out as most of the shows now offer a good variety of food trucks with lots of options for lunch. Though we've also in the past done like a picnic style packed lunch. Um, But I will tell you, keeping things cool and fresh in the desert isn't always easy, especially if the weather's really warm. So if you don't have any food allergies or you don't have many dietary restrictions, you may want to just consider getting lunches out. It also saves a lot of time. But lunch at a gem show food truck typically costs between $15 to $20 per person with tip. So if you plan to eat lunch out, be sure to budget for this. And then finally, the night that we arrive in Tucson, after we've done our grocery shopping, we put everything away, we make a nice dinner for our little team, we get ourselves unpacked in our rooms, and we try to head to bed early for a good night's sleep before our first big shopping day. Which brings us to shopping at the Tucson Gem Show. So the next morning, and then every day for the rest of the week, we start shopping for our crystals. And there are a couple parts to this. For us, it's about selecting our vendors as well as our crystals and also sourcing ethically where we can. So we've developed really great relationships with many of our vendors over the years, and we really value these connections. One of the biggest reasons that we love shopping at a big show like Tucson is because we get the opportunity to buy directly from the people who are sourcing the material that we carry. Supporting these small family-owned or cottage industry vendors allows us to offer really unique and exciting stuff that might not be available from the big distributors. Plus, it means that more of the money that we're spending goes directly into the hands of the people who mined the stones, which is something we also really love. And I'll tell you, a big part of our goal with the show this year especially was to do more of our purchasing from these family-owned businesses and mining co-ops. So wherever possible, we try to purchase ethically sourced crystals. But it's important because the, the term ethical can mean different things to different people in relation to how the minerals are sourced. The industry as a whole... I think is seeing more demand for ethically sourced material, but this has been good and bad. On the bad side, this has created an environment where lots of sellers, both wholesalers and retailers alike, are using this term without much clarity or definition on what it means. And for us, there's a lot that goes into an ethical label, and we don't use this term to describe our crystals unless they meet the following criteria, and we are pretty certain that that's accurate. So first, we want to make sure no child labor was used to mine or process the crystals. We also want to make sure that workers were paid fair wages for their work. This includes miners, cutting manufacturers, shippers, the whole supply chain. It's also important to us that the crystals were mined and processed with low environmental impact and that miners and polishers worked in safe conditions with proper equipment where their risk was minimized. Now, these are our big four criteria, and it's a bonus for us, and this happens sometimes, not always, but sometimes, where the sale of the crystals also directly benefits the communities where they were mined. And this can be anything from providing access to clean water, to meals, to education. And the cottage industry miners that are really giving back to the communities that they work with are the ones that we like to support the most. If you want to learn more about ethical crystal sourcing, definitely check out an interview that I did with my best friend and crystal author, Nicholas Pearson. There's a link to it 
in this week's blog post, but you can also head over to loveandlightschool.com forward slash blog and do a search for ethical and you'll find the interview. And I want to tell you, ethical crystal sourcing is difficult work. So when you see people using the term ethically sourced, or sometimes they'll say consciously sourced, don't just take that at face value. Ask questions. Well, in what ways is this ethical? right? Like they should be able to know what is ethical about it. Maybe it's just that those crystals had a low environmental impact, but they can't guarantee that child labor was not a factor, right? Or maybe they know that no child labor was used, but they can't necessarily tell you if the workers were paid fairly. Or maybe they tick all the boxes and that's great. My point is it's good to ask questions when you see that label because the more consumers and retailers alike demand accountability and ask questions about the sourcing of our crystals, the more it pushes the industry as a whole to create positive changes at every stage in that process. And though we at Mimosa are not always certain of the origins of our minerals, we will always choose ethically sourced materials when they're available. And we only use that label when it's something we can be pretty certain of. That leads us to our next section of making purchases at the gem show. So after all of our planning and our preparation, it's finally time to purchase some crystals. So we head to our chosen show destination and we begin the super exciting process of browsing all of these amazing minerals. And although this is undoubtedly very fun and super enjoyable, it is a lot of hard work. We have to consider the mineral type, the size, the quality, the price, its sourcing, vendor minimums and variety, resale value, and tons of other factors when we're choosing the stones that we purchase for the shop. So if you've ever experienced decision fatigue, the gem show will reveal this on a whole new level but it's worth it in the end. When we make a crystal purchase with a vendor, there are a few things that we like to take note of to help us more easily do our balance and accounting at the end of the day, as well as help us price things once we get back to the shop. So we like to make a little record, a little note of ourselves with the vendor's name and location, like where they were actually located at the show, notes on ethical sourcing or other information of importance, the crystal's name and origin, where the material comes from, as specifically as possible. Sometimes that's just a country. Sometimes we can get right down to the mine where the material came from. The cost, this might be per piece, or it could be by weight. Typically, this is by kilo, kilogram, or by the pound. We also write down the quantity, how much we purchased, either by the number of pieces or the weight, And then the payment method we use, did we pay for it with cash, check, or credit card, and how much did we spend? If the vendor has provided us with an invoice, we usually just jot it down on the invoice, or if it's just a cash and carry purchase, this is where our little notebooks come in really handy. We also track any other purchases that we made in that day in our little notebooks, things like cash that we spent on parking, on lunch, things like that, because it can really add up. So it's important to make note of these so we can accurately track our expenses. It's also important to note here that having cash for the show is obviously very important. Many vendors are international and they'll only accept cash, even with big advancements in mobile payment systems and things like that. 
many vendors still don't take credit cards or any form of digital payment. So we try to carry a variety of cash split up in lots of different places for safety, along with a couple of checks. We usually don't need many and our credit cards to give us lots of different options for payment. Now, after you make a purchase, nearly always the vendors will very kindly wrap up your minerals for safe transport. And in our case, so we can get them back to the house. Uh, and sometimes they're packed well enough to go right on our pallet and be shipped back to the shop. But other times they're only packed really well enough for the short trip back to our house rental. And they need to be repacked once we get home that night. And it might sound odd, but the best packing material that we've found are toilet paper and paper towels. They are inexpensive, they can be recycled, so we always make sure to pick up a big package of each at the grocery store. Now on occasion, our purchase with a vendor might be quite large and we might need to leave our stones with the vendor while we continue to shop at the show. Now most vendors are incredibly accommodating with this especially if you've just spent a bunch of money with them and they'll let you come back at the end of the day to collect your items and load them into the car. It also depends on the show. Sometimes you have to park far away. Sometimes you can park close and there are loading or unloading zones but not always so just sort of be mindful of this when you're entering the show that you pay attention for what that might be like later at pickup. We've also learned that keeping the front page in our little notebooks free for tracking order pickups is super important. Last year, we forgot four different orders dotted around the show, and we only realized after we got back to the shop in Madison. I don't know how we made it that far without realizing. Um, so we had to have a friend pick them up for us, and that was not a super good feeling to know not only did we forget an order, but we forgot four orders. And trust me, it can definitely happen to you too. So keep track of where you still have pickups, especially if your things are paid for. But even if they're not, you don't want to leave a vendor in the lurch when they've set aside your items and you don't follow up on payment. So make sure you get those items paid and you make a note to come back and pick them up. And although these logistical things about purchasing crystals for the shop are important, our most important guiding principle when it comes to gem show shopping is to only buy what we love. The show is so big, it's filled with an overwhelming amount of stones. I mean, truly you need to see it to believe it because it's massive. And with all those options, there are millions and millions of individual crystals there. It's all too easy to get swept up in the excitement and make purchases that might later fill you with buyer's remorse for any number of reasons. But by only buying what we truly love, the things that we really feel called to, we're always left feeling good about our crystal selections. So if you're on the fence about something, it's better to leave it behind. You can't always go back for it, but unless it makes your heart sing, trust me, you will find something else even better down the road. Now, after we've purchased all of these crystals, we need to process those crystal purchases. So each night when we return home after shopping the shows, we unload the car into our house rental. We take a little break to make some dinner and rest a bit while we eat. And when we feel ready, we clear our table. So we always choose a house rental with a huge dining room table to give us lots of workspace. And we start to go through our purchases for the day. So we choose an order from the stack of things we've bought, we find the corresponding invoice or the little note in our notebook, and we check to be sure that we got everything that's on the invoice, that we were charged correctly. And believe me, this is important. Sometimes it works in your favor, sometimes it doesn't. The best policy is always to be honest. 
once we had a vendor forget to charge us for over $5,000 of jewelry, so we had to call and pay over the phone by credit card. This stuff happens, and no one is doing this on purpose. You know, just like you get tired out there shopping, these vendors are out there often for a month or more. They're tired too. So we make notes about the cost of our items as we're going through and checking things off the invoice so it's easier for us to price once we get back to the shop. So as we take something out of the package, we write the price on it, pop it in a box for shipping. It makes it really easy. We make sure everything is wrapped and packed super well to ship it all home. Since we've started using a pallet to ship our items, we've had really little to no breakage of our items, and we don't have to wrap them quite as well as we did when we shipped individual boxes. Plus, it's a lot more cost-effective to send a pallet for the volume of crystals that we buy for the shop compared to individual boxes, um, which was reiterated this year because we sent a pallet, we packed it all up, I was a little bit overweight, we decided to leave it as is and pay a little overage, but we ended up buying quite a bit more and had to ship some boxes separately, and we spent just on six boxes nearly what we did on the whole pallet. So if you're buying a good quantity, look into freight shipping. It can be a lot cheaper. And there are lots of little shipping outposts dotted around Tucson this time. So finding drop-off locations and shipping locations is pretty easy and convenient. The most important thing to know, though, when you're packing your boxes of stones is to be sure that there's no wiggle room left in the boxes. If everything's packed really tightly and it can't shift around too much, it's much more likely to make it home in one piece. It's when things sort of move and roll around and bash into each other that things get broken. So at the very end of the night, once we have everything checked in that we purchased from that day, we tally up our totals and check to be sure that our remaining cash balances with what we spent. And it seems like we always spend the most on the very first day since there's so much available, we haven't bought anything yet. And with each day as we've made more purchases, we spend a little bit less since we've already bought so much of what's available. We start to pass things by because we go, oh, we already got some of that. We already got some of that. Still, that first day always feels like a little bit of a shock when we tally up what we've spent for the day. Uh, it usually comes out to about 20 to 25% of our total budget for the week. And we just, you know, continue this process at the end of every day packing and organizing all the little treasures that we bought, and it goes pretty smoothly. And I will tell you one thing that we learned this year is going and shopping for mineral specimens on one day means we're probably going to have a lot of packing to do that night. So the next day we might switch it up and go shop for jewelry or something smaller and a little bit less time intensive to pack. So we get a little bit of a break and then go back to minerals again the next day. That broke everything up really well for us this year. So if you're able to do that to some extent, I would highly recommend it. That brings us to shipping the crystals back home. So we pack up these boxes at the end of every night, but at the end of the week, we need to get everything back home. So the day before our flight returns, we load up the car with everything we've bought, which always seems to somehow just barely fit. There was even one year where two of my team members took an Uber over to the freight shipping place while I drove the car full of everything because by the time we got everything in the car, there was no room. <laughs> so we head over to the ground freight shipping area, we arrange for a pallet, and then we load the pallet with all our boxes and seal it up to be shipped home. 
This year, we ended up buying a little bit more that afternoon after we sealed up the pallet and even a little bit more the next morning before our return flight. So we had to send a couple of individual boxes home. And like I mentioned, the price for just those six boxes was about two thirds of what our whole pallet costs. I could not believe it. So we keep all of our tracking numbers organized. We sign up for text alerts about the journey home for all of our boxes, our freight pallet, all that stuff back to Madison. And I'll tell you the hardest part of the whole trip is that anticipation waiting for the boxes and the pallet to arrive after we've come home. So we usually get home about a week or so before the first boxes begin to arrive. We cannot wait to open them up and see everything. But I'll tell you, the week that we spend shopping sort of starts to become a blur by that second or third day. So it's always sort of a surprise opening up the boxes and seeing what's in there and sort of remembering everything that you picked out. So it's kind of fun. It's like almost a little surprise to ourselves (laughs) uh, when we're opening everything up and it's just a lot of fun. So after the crystals arrive, we have to go through the unpacking and processing the crystals. So once our palette and boxes arrive at the shop, there is a little bit of a frenzy. The shop team is always super excited to see all the new treasures. And since our shop is really small, the Tucson Crystal Unpacking Party kind of seems to take over a little corner of the shop. Usually I'm there every day until we get everything unpacked and priced. We order some food so that we're all well nourished and taken care of. And we just go for it. We start to unwrap and unpack and sort things. Our curious customers get a little sneak peek at what's coming. And we begin this very long process of unpacking and pricing our crystals. So box by box, we go through and open things up. We carefully unwrap the stones. We sort out our packing materials because we like to reuse what we can for shipping out orders to our customers later. Reduce, reuse, recycles, totally the name of the game at Mimosa. And as we open up these stones, we sort them into flats by stone type. We review our costs for each item and we price them out. We always try to keep our prices fair for our customers, and this is based on a formula that we've been using for years that's based on the item's cost. So we label the crystals along with their origin when we know it, and we start to arrange them on our shelves, which by this time of year, let me tell you, are usually quite empty since it's been so long since the last show. It is an absolute ton of work. It usually takes us about a week to 10 days to get through everything. I think last year we did it in about five or six, which I was really impressed with. Um, And it is a lot of work, but it's something I look forward to every single year. So after we make all the crystals available, we get to sell them. We get to sell them online and at our shop. Picking out all these new treasures at the gem show is really an amazing experience, but I equally love the joy that I feel seeing them go to their new homes. The excitement from our customers both in the shop and online during our live sales because we have bi-weekly live crystal sales at Mimosa makes me feel so happy and so proud of our little team. It is such an honor to get to connect folks with the stones that bring them so much healing and energetic support and joy. And I am so grateful for all of our amazing customers who support my shop, both our bricks and mortar shop here in Madison, as well as online. And this is such a fun time of year 
because our local customers seem to pop back in every couple days to see what's new on the shelves. They want to see what we've put out. And I love watching people's face light up when they find a crystal that they've been looking for or when they see something new and exciting that they've never seen before. And although we don't quite get that exact same experience with our online customers, our live online sales do come pretty close. So during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, our little team had a lot more time and space to get crystals listed on our website. But now that our shop is back to being open daily, we don't have that same ability to add new items to our website all the time, especially for something like our crystals, which are so individual and unique. So to be able to continue to sort of surprise and delight our online customers, twice a month we offer live crystal sales through our shop where we get to showcase a lot of these unique finds. And so all of these individual crystal clusters and slices and really cool specimens that we find go into our live sales. And it's one of the things that I personally most look forward to because I get to gather together with other crystal lovers, many of whom are students in my CCH program, and show off the things that we found at the show. I get to share a little bit about the stone's properties, their origins, some fun facts about them, and our whole team really enjoys matching up our customers with their dream crystals. It is a lot of fun. We really like doing these every couple weeks, and then after our live sale, the team spends the next couple weeks packing up orders and shipping them out. So I hope this has been really fun and hopefully a little bit educational for you. I hope it gave you a sneak peek behind the curtain of what it's like to go shopping at the Tucson Gem Show for a little crystal shop like mine. We're not a very big buyer. I know a palette of crystal seems like a lot, but really trust me, it's a little drop in the bucket of what is at the show. Uh, but I've been going to the show now for over 15 years. It is still such an exciting experience each year. And I hope whether you visit a big show like the Tucson Gem Show or your own local gem show, or whether you're just shopping for yourself, or if you're buying things for your own crystal shop, that this podcast episode has provided some helpful tips and insights for you. Because each person and each shop is going to have their own approach and tips for how to do the show. I would love if you have something that you want to share or offer with our crystal community for you to head over to this week's blog post that accompanies this podcast and leave a comment there with some of your tips. So you can visit loveandlightschool.com forward slash blog. Check out this post all about my guide to the Tucson Gem Show and leave some tips of your own. Or if you just want to chat about your experience, send me a DM on Instagram at Love and Light School. And if you do end up heading out to the show later this year, crystal blessings and happy shopping. Do you feel intuitively called to work more deeply with your stones? To grow your confidence, knowledge, and connection to crystal energy beyond what you can learn on your own? Our award-winning Crystal Healing Certification Program will take you from crystal lover to a confident, certified crystal healer and help you discover your soul's path and crystal purpose. Go to crystalhealerschool.com to learn more.
Well, that is it for today. I hope you enjoyed listening and that you've learned a lot from today's show. I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. If the discussion today sparked new questions, ideas, or memories of your own crystal experiences, I'd love to hear from you. You can submit your questions or share your crystal stories over at loveandlightschool.com forward slash ask. And if you want more information about anything I discussed in this episode, you can learn more over on the website at loveandlightschool.com forward slash blog. And if you're ready to dive deeper with your crystals and take the next steps on your crystal journey, be sure to head over to crystalhealerschool.com to learn more about how you can become a certified crystal healer. I would love to see you in class. That brings us to the end of this week's episode of the Love and Light Live podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Levy, and I'll be back with you next time. Until then, crystal blessings. The Love and Light Live podcast is a production of the Love and Light School of Crystal Therapy. Connect with us online at loveandlightschool.com or on social at School. Content provided on or through our website or podcast makes no claims for specific or general health or health results and should not be used to examine, diagnose, or treat any medical condition, prescribe medications, make claims for specific or general healing or health results, or as a substitute for traditional medical treatment. For medical advice, you should consult a licensed healthcare specialist. For more information, please refer to the terms of use on our website at loveandlightschool.com.